have returned. And I'm done. I'm done. I finished. Freshman year is over. It's over. It's done with. Sick and tired of this Zoom unit. Man, if I got to take another online class in my... Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I'm done. Man. It was really anticlimactic. I was talking to my roommate, Eddie, um, podcast partner as well. Shout out Square One. You already know what it is. But I was talking to him. It's just like, man, we, we both of our exams... Our last exam was the same one. Um, and when we finished, it was just like you click send and uh, that that's freshman year. Very, very anticlimactic. But now we're on the summer grind. Uh, I am taking summer classes. I, I know you guys probably aren't interested in that. But I'm just trying to keep you updated in terms of what's going on with my commitment to the podcast. So I, I am taking summer classes, but that's not going to hinder me from you know putting out a weekly podcast. But what might hinder me lord have mercy it's getting it's getting dry out there it's getting barren when it comes to sports news it is getting it's bad out there y'all and i was talking to a buddy of mine the other day the uh like these sports talk shows first take colin cowherd all those shows they're struggling they are struggling and i'm not gonna lie i'm in somewhat of the same boat because i was looking at this past week and i'm like man what am i gonna talk about but thankfully Thankfully, you guys, my fans, my supporters, my people came through as always because I put out a poll or I put out a question on my Instagram and on Twitter and I asked you guys, I said, I want to hear from people that haven't asked questions yet, right? I don't want to hear from just the people that ask the same questions every week. I want to hear from some new voices, some new perspectives, ask me some new questions and y'all came through. Y'all came through in the time when I needed it most because... Honestly, I'm not sure what I would have talked about this week if it weren't for all these questions. I got I'm looking at nine questions here. Each of them very, very good. Each of them warranting its own discussion. So what I'm gonna do instead of doing the usual topics this week and then finishing with a QA, the entire episode is going to be the QA because you guys came with such good questions. There's so many of them, and I like I said, I, I'm committed to answering all of your guys' questions because of your dedication to what I'm doing. I'm gonna return the favor, I'm gonna return that dedication back unto you. So that's what this episode is gonna be. It's gonna be essentially an entire QA episode of me answering all of the questions that I got this week. And man, where should I even start? Julio, 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 former basketball extraordinaire, now basketball analyst extraordinaire. He asked me, would I rather be the ninth guy off of the bench and win multiple rings or be a Hall of Fame caliber player with no rings? Mm, mm, mm. Starting off with some heat, because that is a very, very good question. Essentially what he's asking, right? Would I rather be a guy who's essentially like Sean Livingston to those Warriors teams, um, like Norman Powell was to, to the Ronald Raptors last year, and win multiple rings? Or be like a Charles Barkley, a Carmelo Anthony, a Chris Paul. Be that dude, but never, ever touch the pinnacle of the NBA and be an NBA champion. Man, 
that is tough. Um, I'll look at it this way. When, when I played basketball, right, I was never like a hooper hooper. I, I, I had my moments, but usually I was never the star player. I was a guy who was pretty good in his role. Uh, my dad was always the coach, not always, but for a lot of the time he was the coach and he knew that my strength was playing defense, right? I, I was tall. I was lanky for my age. I had very long extremities. He ran a box in one and he essentially put me at the top of the box in one at that one spot and said, you trail the ball. Don't even worry about a man. Trail where the ball is. You run around the court. You scurry around. You go find the ball and be part of the action. And that's what I did. And I excelled at it. I was basically hounding on defense the entire game and it worked like a charm. I only wish that my endurance was anywhere near as good as it was back then because I had these, <laughs> I had the stamina to keep that up for the entirety of the game. Now I, I go play pickup. It takes about three runs about up and down the court before I'm gassed. But um, that, that was the type of dude that I was. I was willing to accept uh, being a role player for the betterment of the team. So from that standpoint, it makes sense for me to be more apt to being a role player. However, who doesn't want to be the star, right? Who doesn't want to be the Chris Paul, the Charles Barkley, the Carmelo Anthony of the world and go down as one of the greatest to ever do it? I mean, that's what this is all about, right? If you if you put in all this time and effort and blood, sweat and tears to get yourself better, what better way to validate that than to be one of the best players to ever play? So it's a very, very interesting question. Here's the thing. Personally, right, because you're asking me this question, Julio, I'm the type of person that requires closure, and if I don't have closure, it's extremely frustrating for me. So I can see myself if I were a guy like Charles Barkley and you can tell that it eats at him. Right. Every time him and Shaq get into some sort of debate, Shaq brings up the rings and you could tell that eats at him. The fact that he never won a ring. He got to repair. He, he ain't got to repair you. nothing. He got to stop baby the players. You got, got baby. That's no, why you he, ain't win. He got to. I, I didn't have Dwayne. I didn't have so Dwayne for, Wade and Kobe Bryant carry me up and down the court. Man, if I never had that closure. Of saying, yeah, I want a ring. I don't, I don't think I'd want that for myself, no matter how good I was. I don't want to be one of those dudes that was one of the greatest players to never win a ring. I would be more comfortable in saying, okay, I wasn't the best dude out there, but I had a role and I did it to the best of my ability. And that was what my team needed for us to uh, be the best team out there. I would be a lot more comfortable in doing that. Because at that point, I can say I did everything that I could to contribute to winning a championship. If I never won a championship, I know I'd look back on my career and think, man, could I have done more? Was there more effort that I could have put in to ultimately ascend to that level? At least I'd have my closure, even though I was a role player. So if I'm the ninth guy, like you said in, in your example, Julio, be the ninth guy and win multiple rings. I'm assuming that as the ninth dude, you have some sort of role in the team. If I have a role within the team and I, I get, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game, I'm chilling. Give me that and give me the multiple rings over never having that sort of closure. I think I prefer to be the former rather than the latter. But that was a good question. Next up, we got my guy, Guyman McKinney. I hope I pronounced that right, man. I'm sorry if I didn't. Now, Guyman or G-Man, I'm, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, man. Um, We'll get it right. But he is he's in the same game that me, Julio, and Eddie are in that we're trying to become sports analysts. I believe he goes to Toledo. And what Guyman does 
it's very, very good. I have a lot of respect for his grind and what he's doing. He has uh, his thing called the Juice Alert, which is essentially he does a lot of football content. Um, he, he poses a lot of good questions. He has a very, very good voice for this for this particular industry. It's one that you're you know you're gonna want to listen to, and he's strong in his opinions, and I respect that a lot. I think we we're gonna have some um, some collaboration content coming down the pipeline very soon. Me and him, I definitely respect his grind. Y'all go check his stuff out. Like I said, the Juice Alert, look it up. Um, very very good stuff. Um, but he asked me, where does Kevin Durant all, rank all time? Ah, this question. So I I, I could have just did this off the top of my head, but I was like. Nah, let, let me put some thought and time and effort into this, because like I said, I do this for y'all. This is this is y'all's episode. Y'all ask me some very good questions. I'm going to come with the best answers that I can give you. So I sat down and I made my list of the best players or not the best, the greatest players of all time. And before I get into it, let me make that differentiation. Make Let me make that distinction. There's a difference between the greatest players of all time and the best players of all time. Because when I talk about the best, I'm thinking about the most talented dudes. I'm talking about the greatest. That's your legacy. And your legacy is a lot you know, more complicated than just the talent level that you brought to the game. So we're talking about greatness here, not just talent. So number one, obviously, you're looking at Michael Jordan. Number two, in my opinion... LeBron James. It, it, you can make the argument for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's my number three, but I, I think it's it's fair to say it's LeBron James at this point. Number three, Kareem. Number four, I got Kobe. Number five, I got Magic. Number six, I got Shaquille O'Neal. Number seven, Larry Bird. Number eight, Tim Duncan. Number nine, Eddie, you're going to like this one, Stephen Curry. Oh, hell no! And I know that's going <laughs> to, we can talk, that's not the point of the question. I we, we can talk about that just to keep it brief. Stephen Curry, two MVPs, one unanimous MVP, three NBA championships, changed the game. He's a top 10 player all time, and there's really no discussion about it. There's really shouldn't be a discussion whether or not Stephen Curry is already a top 10 player of all time. Given all of those things already, greatest shooter of all time. I didn't even mention that. Probably the the best the off ball influence of any player who ever played basketball. Stephen Curry is a top ten player all time. Immediately following Steph Curry at number ten, that's where I have Kevin Durant. That begs the question, Reagan, Reagan, what do you what do you mean? How do you have Stephen Curry ranked ahead of Kevin Durant? How can you do that? Kevin Durant's clearly better. He's six eleven. He has the handles. He can shoot. I get it. I get it. And if we're talking, like I said, the most talented players of all time, Kevin Durant probably usurps Stephen Curry. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the greatest players of all time. We're talking about legacies here. And Stephen Curry's legacy, it's better than Kevin Durant's. Because Kevin Durant ultimately hitched his wagon to Stephen Curry's legacy to try to you know, build his own. Kevin Durant went and joined Stephen Curry's team. Let's remember that, okay? That at the end of the day, I have to knock you for at some point for that if you're Kevin Durant. I can't just say, you know, it's not like he went in there and saved Golden State. Golden State was already doing what they were doing at a high level. They just won 73 games. So, yeah, yeah, I have, I have Stephen Curry's legacy above Kevin Durant right now. Now, is that potential to change? Of course, it's very contingent upon what Kevin Durant does in Brooklyn. Because I'll be quite honest, if Kevin Durant wins one, he won two in Golden State. 
if he wins one in Brooklyn, that'll mean more to me than the two that he won in Golden State because it'll have been his venture. He's not hitching his wagon to anything else that's already established. He's doing it himself. So, you know, then we'll have a discussion what, uh, depending on how successful Kevin Durant is in Brooklyn. But as of right now, I have Kevin Durant ranked as number 10 all time. I'll hit you guys with my honorable mentions following uh, Kevin Durant. I had Kim Olajuwon and Wilt Chamberlain. But yes, I do have Stephen Curry ranked ahead of Kevin Durant all time. Look at Curry, man. You're welcome, Eddie. <laughs> uh, I, I, my roommate, Eddie Sun, I mentioned him earlier. The dude is like a, the ultimate Stephen Curry stan, and I got to hear about it all the time. I'm honestly surprised that I'm even willing to give Stephen Curry his due just. You guys need to respect me for that because, quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of hearing about Stephen Curry from this dude. I really am. But, you know, with that said, you got to give credit where it's due. Stephen Curry is one of the most impactful players to ever step on a basketball court. Speaking of Eddie... He's coming with the next question. How do you feel about the NBA's latest memo on continuing the season? Well, here's what we know, Eddie. We know that we could be waiting until June for a final decision. We know that we can expect games to take place when they do come back. There's not going to be fans. We know that it's going to be safer, uh, the NBA thinks, to hold games in one or two locations rather than having players travel across the country. Um, They're probably going to have the games in Las Vegas and Orlando um, at Walt Disney World and then wherever they're going to have it in Vegas. Um, So essentially you have an eastern uh, eastern coast and west coast Two, two things going on there. So the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference are going to operate in two different uh, zones. And they're hoping to keep playoff series seven games. They're going to have a minimum of three weeks training camp before they play. They're going to have daily testing for the players. And if a player should test positive, the hope is that there's not going to be a stoppage of play because of the daily testing, right? If you didn't have it yesterday, but now you have it today, we can kind of maneuver that. That's their hope. Um... It's what what are my thoughts on it? It's you always want to see your favorite sports be played, right? It, you're all here. I'm assuming you're all, you know, sport fans. We want to see our games come back. We want to be able to watch them. I worry about how safe this would be for the players involved. Not just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint as well, because you're, you're essentially asking these guys to isolate themselves in a bubble of nothing but basketball. They won't be able to go interact with their families. They won't be able to see their kids. They won't be able to do all of the things that they be or normally be able to do on a daily basis. You're asking them to essentially be in what's going to amount to weeks, possibly months long of a training camp without seeing your family whatsoever. Not to mention the health risks of, you know, COVID-19. You talk about a daily test, you know, sometimes those things mess up. You know, no test is foolproof, right? And if you have a player that had a uh, misread test that goes on a court, next thing you know, that thing is spread to all of those guys and then you might have to shut it down again. So I, the the... In theory, on paper, it looks like a decent plan. There's just too many holes to be poked in it right now. I think it might be a little too soon. As much as I want to see basketball come back, it might be a little too soon. They need to iron out this plan a lot better than they have thus far. If I'm going to be confident in the player's safety um, coming back on the court. Um, so those are my thoughts on it. I, I do want to see basketball come back, but I I, I don't think that plan is um is sustainable. 
Next question comes from Nick Kirk. Nick, for for you guys who don't know who Nick is, which I'm assuming is probably most of you, um, Nick is a buddy of mine that I went to a camp with at Stanford a long time ago. We've kept in contact. He's a Sacramento Kings fan. Stop it. Get some help. Um, Very unfortunate for him. <laughs> Imagine being a Sacramento Kings fan. But you know, credit where it's due. He stuck with his team through and through. Nick asked me, who's going number one in the NBA draft? Mm, mm, mm. Y'all are coming with some very, very difficult questions this week. Um, It's a class with a lot of intrigue, a lot of questions. We don't really know what's what, right? Uh, most of the time we have a pretty good gauge. Last season we knew it'd be Zion number one, it'd be John number two, then you get into the draft. Uh, a couple years back we knew it'd be Aiton going number one, likely to be Bagley going number two, then you got into the draft. So usually you have a pretty decent idea of what's what, at least at the one and two spots, um, year in and year out for the draft. But this year, I really don't know. No one really knows. It's a crapshoot, especially when you talk about the fact that, you know, all of the, we don't even know when the draft's going to be. They already postponed the um, lottery, which really, side note, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because the lottery feels like something that one dude could really do in his basement. Like like Goodell was announcing the picks of the draft from his basement. It, it seems like if you get somebody some lottery balls and, you know, you give them a video camera, you could do a lottery from from wherever you are um but uh, apparently they deemed it necessary to postpone the lottery um but like i said we really don't know it's going to be a crapshoot so to answer your question nick that you got probably three maybe even four candidates uh to be number one overall obviously you got james wiseman you got anthony edwards you got Lamelo ball and i do believe obi toppin is a dark horse yeah i very much like obi toppin in his game i think it's a dark horse to be the number one overall pick depending right all of this is going to be contingent upon who gets the number one pick and last year showed us all we really have no clue it doesn't matter what your record was. It doesn't really matter. Well, of course, it matters how many lottery balls you have in the uh, in the thingamajig, whatever that thing is that they roll them around in. Um, but it, it's a very fluctuating thing. You're not. There's no guarantees here. So, if it's the Warriors, say right, that they end up getting that number one pick. It's a very strong chance that they, you know, trade the thing, first of all, because they're in a win now mode. They still got Curry. They got Clay coming back. They got Draymond. Hopefully will be better. Hopefully for their sake, at least will be better next season. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if they tried to trade that number one pick. The, they got Wiggins. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they tried to trade that number one pick for another player that can help them right now. Now, if they kept the pick, it wouldn't surprise me if they went, you know, getting that big man. You already got your point guard. You got your shooting guard. You got your small forward and Wiggins. You got your power forward and Draymond. You could go get a center, hypothetically. Now, what we the, the thing is, right, I asked Eddie, who's a Warriors fan, he thinks that they need a guard. Um, so that would put them uh, possibly in, in a position to trade back because they need someone else who can handle the ball outside of Stephen Curry. Um, they did have Jordan Poole, who showed up decently for them this year. Um, I'm not going to be the one to fall into the trap of saying, OK, you were pretty good on a very bad team. Uh, that means you might be decent on a good team. I fall into that trap way too many times as a Lakers fan, way too many times as a Lakers fan. Man, I don't know, y'all. This Ramon Sessions, dude, might be it. Yo, this Robert Saker guy, he's got some potential, man. Yo, Jordan Hill looks kind of nice. No, I'm not going to do it. 
<coughs> excuse me, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to fall into that trap. So I'm not confident in Jordan Poole on a contending team. So there is something to be said for the the Warriors needing, you know, could possibly use a guy like a Tyrese Halliburton, somebody who's going to be able to plug and play. You can put him next to Stephen Curry or you can put him behind Stephen Curry, depending on the situation. But... I think the Warriors would be dumb to not take the best value, um, which you're looking at James Wiseman uh, or you're looking at Obi Toppin. And I very, very much like that. The the fit between Obi Toppin and the Warriors, because we know the Warriors like to play an up-tempo style of basketball and they like to play a three-point oriented style of basketball. That's what the game has evolved to right now. You need somebody that can shoot. And as, as good as James Wiseman is, the dude, he, he's not going to stretch the floor for you. And Draymond's made it abundantly clear that one season that he shot, what was it, 38%? That was a fluke. Okay, Draymond Green, as Julio Martinez put it the other day on our podcast, shoots like he has a Dora backpack on his back. Draymond Green cannot shoot that thing. So that's already one dude who's liable for spacing. So you can't have two dudes out there like that but between um him and Wiseman. So they need to have somebody that can shoot. There's Obi Toppin. I'm pretty sure he shot over 40% this year from three on pretty good volume. So you get Obi Toppin. Not only do you get an athletic dude that you can put in a pick and roll with Stephen Curry, but you also get somebody else that's out there. That's a big body that can also stretch the floor. Now, a lot of people have concerns about his defense. And I'm not going to lie to you. After watching some film, I do as well. The, the biggest issue is that the dude does not shuffle his feet at all. He, he's still becoming accustomed to his body. Clearly, um, he does not know how to maneuver it in a way that that's um, that that's conducive to pretty good defense. He, he's a jumper. Right. So I wish I could visualize it for you guys. But essentially, when you're shuffling, one of your feet is on the ground at all times. That gives you a lot more mobility in terms of cutting and being agile and keeping up with the person that you're trying to guard. The dude doesn't shuffle, he jumps. So both of his feet will be in the air at the same time. That's just basically giving you the, the guy who's on offense, that's a ticket to mess you up. That is a ticket to mess you up. If both of your feet are in the air at the same time, that means you have no ability to change your direction in that moment. Should the offensive player change his direction while you, both of your feet are in the air, you're screwed. There's no way for you to keep up. That That's why that's the biggest issue that he has in terms of defense, particularly on the perimeter, because if you get him out there uh, guarding somebody on the perimeter, there's no way to hide the fact that he's not going to be able to keep up. So that's a concern for a guy like Obi Toppin. But I do think he just has the athletic potential, right? The dude is clearly a different caliber of athlete. I don't think it's going to be all that difficult to teach him some of those fundamental things and changing, you know, don't jump, shuffle, right? I, I don't like it, it might take a little bit of time, but that, that's not outside of the realm of possibility to teach a guy to, to do those sorts of things. That's a pretty easy fix, if you ask me. Um, that's me being in my six foot, 180 pound body. He is, you know a pretty big dude so it could be proved to be a little bit more difficult with that said I just think he has the athletic potential to do it um so if that's the Warriors look for uh, uh James Wiseman or Obi Toppin you also got Cleveland if it's Cleveland or Minnesota they're probably going guard and I know that Cleveland already has a lot of guards and they already got Colin Sexton you got Darius Garland but if you're Cleveland you just need to get somebody you, you just keep shooting shots you just keep shooting shots. So you're essentially, what Cleveland is right now, they're that dude that's at the bar that really doesn't look all that good. But <laughs> he figures, you know, it's just if you play the numbers game and you go ask every girl for her number, you might pull one. 
you just might pull one. That's Cleveland right now. You know, traded for Andre Drummond. You drafted Colin Sexton. You drafted Darius Garland. You might get one of them pretty girls to get give you their number. Or you just keep getting, you know, <laughs> you keep getting your shots blocked at the rim like it's Dikembe Mutombo. Um, but with Anthony Edwards, that's another guy that they could potentially hit on. Or it, it could be a, a LaMelo Ball. It, it would make sense uh, to the give, give them some semblance of star power in Cleveland, something that they've lacked since LeBron left. And if it's Minnesota, that's the guy that you can plug next to D'Angelo Russell, right? Because they, both of those guys are kind of combo guards where you can play them on or off the ball. You just... Very, 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 very bad on defense if you have D'Angelo Russell and LaMelo Ball in your backcourt. Um, but that's what Joshua Kogi's for, right? Now, if it's Atlanta, I'm throwing a lot of different scenarios at you guys. If it's Atlanta, it'll probably be whoever they believe is the best player available. Whether that's Wiseman, whether that's Toppin, whether that's Anthony Edwards, whether that's LaMelo Ball. Atlanta's just a team that that's strapped for talent right now. And I, I'm not sure they're completely sold on Capella. Um, that that might have been just a thing to, you know, kind of maneuver some cap space a little bit. But if you're Atlanta, you just get the best guy that, that's available to you. And then you worry about all the other stuff later. You got Trey Young. You got to start putting some pieces around him. Um, and the way to do that is just to get the most value, extract the most value out of that pick that you can. So it'll be Atlanta. If it's Atlanta at that number one spot, they'll probably pick whoever they think is the best player available. Um, but like I said, it's very difficult to tell at this point in time who's going to go number one overall. We got to know who has the pick, first of all. Um and then we got to have some semblance of the, their evaluation on the players, which is going to be very hard to do once the draft approaches, because, again, we're in this situation where nobody's in contact with anybody. We don't know how these teams view these players. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Man, that's a lot of questions, bro. I'm at 24 minutes, 25 minutes and, and counting right now. Can I can I get some producer producer? Can I have some water producer? I don't have a producer. I am the producer. Boy, if you don't get um, all right, we just going <laughs> we're gonna pursue. We're gonna keep on pushing without water, man. Screw, screw a uh, dehydration. We'll be all right. So this next question actually comes from my sister, um, but I don't think it came from my sister. I know my sister. I love my sister. She does not know sports. <laughs> the question is, where do you think Precious Achua will go in the draft? Now I asked my sister. I'm like. Ebony, who does Precious Achua play for? Or who is Precious Achua? She said, he plays for the Grizzlies, doesn't he? I'm like, this wasn't your question, was it? So my sister has a boyfriend, Darnell Settles. This is likely his question. He's a he's a all he's a very big Memphis guy, um, which I am too, which is why I'm glad that Ebony asked me this question by proxy of Darnell Settles, because it's, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Precious Achua. Um I'm very glad that I was asked this question because I think Achua honestly might be one of my favorite players in the entire draft. Um, and that's not just because he played for Memphis. Obviously, the Memphis connection runs deep. Walk that trick. Walk that trick. I went here for high school. All right. So I'm Memphis through and through. A-main, say-main. Uh, John Green. I, I know all the lingo. I know all the Memphis lingo. Oh, stop talking. Um, but everything that I'm seeing, right? You asked me the question, where do I think he'll go in the draft? It'll probably be in the mid first round, um, somewhere in the 13 to 16 range, somewhere around there. Um, but I think whoever gets him there, they, they, it's, it's a pretty strong possibility. They, they, they get a steal out of Precious Ochua. Um, it's because 
everything, right? Obviously, everything that happened with James Wiseman, that's unfair and it was unfortunate. But if there's one thing to be taken away from that, that's a positive is that we got to see Precious Achua really flourish in his role as the number one guy for Memphis this year. And let me hit you, let me hit y'all with some stats, man. Achua was second in the nation for defensive rating. All right, defensive rating that that's basically a compilation of stats that evaluate how valuable you were to your team. Defensively, he was second in the entire nation in defensive rating. He was also second in defensive win shares. That, that's basically saying how much of your defense was contributing to your team winning basketball games. He was second in defensive win shares. He was seventh in the nation in total double doubles. In double, in that, and that's including all of the mid-major schools who don't have that strong of a competition. He was seventh out of everybody. This dude has some real defensive potential, man. Some real defensive potential. And he's still somewhat of a raw player. He's, but he's just a very high caliber athlete, immense athleticism. And he clearly has to have instincts on the defensive side of the ball if his numbers indicate all of the, all of the value that he's bringing to the, I mean, Memphis was one of the best defensive teams in all of college basketball last season. And that was primarily because Preston Achua was the motor that was driving that forward. That dude is clearly a, a, a defensive-minded player, and he has instincts to do those sorts of things. Um, not to mention the flashes of not to mention the flashes of prowess that he showed while shooting the three ball. Right, the dude shot thirty-two point five percent from three last season. Excuse me, somebody's walking into the. Okay, that's figured out. So we had hired an electrician, apparently, because the house has some electrical problems that I wasn't aware of. So they had to come into the room that I was using to do my podcast in, in the middle of the podcast. But that's all over with now. We are back and we are rejuvenized. I got to get myself some water. We're back in it now, ready to go. So to finish my previous statement, right, I just took like a 10 minute hiatus. But to y'all, this is coming right in, in sequence with what I just said Um, to finish what I was saying about Precious Achua. I still have to do my due diligence there. I got to watch a lot more tape um, to get a better feel for what his game is. But, you know, my spidey senses are tingling a little bit. You know, I, I have a gut feeling that that dude is just a natural on the defensive side of the ball with some pretty defensive or with some pretty good offensive upside. Um, so I, I definitely think there's something potentially special there with Preston Achua, a team that gets him in the middle of the first round. I think they could be getting a steal. Next question comes from good old Jack Fortenberry, former high school classmate of mine. He's asking me, what is my projection for the Detroit Lions next year? So we got to think about like what you guys did in the offseason, right? Well, you guys made some pretty solid additions to the, uh, the, the defense, particularly, right? You got Desmond Trufant, right? His age is a little bit questionable. He's on the, the wrong side of 30, but he's still got some gas in the tank. There, there's still something there a little bit at times. You got Jamie Collins, who's familiar with what Matt Patricia likes to do on defense. Matt Patricia coming from that New England system. Jamie Collins excels in that New England system. He really only excels in that New England system. So there's definitely potential for him to have a pretty strong impact there in Detroit. Um, and you have Halapulu Vidi Vitae. Um, ooh, you see that? You know why I know how to pronounce that? That's your guys' new right, right tackle. Um, I know how to pronounce that because the dude was a former Eagle. Um, he was the guy who had to step in for an injured Jason Peters during that Super Bowl run. He played very well. Um, he's a pretty good swing tackle. So you guys, you guys made some pretty solid additions in the offseason through free agency. Then you look at the draft, you come out of the draft with argue, not even arguably, just the best corner available, Jeff Okuda, and arguably the best running back in DeAndre Swift. So you had a pretty good draft as well. The team added some talent. Given all of that, it was a pretty successful offseason. 
no doubt about it, Jack. Uh, you guys had a pretty good offseason in Detroit. But with that said, I'm be honest with you, Jack. And I, I mean this in the best way possible. All, all, all due respect to you and your franchise. They're not going to be good. There is a pretty decent chance that they're they're actually like just trash. <laughs> it's not going to look good in Detroit this year, and it's because you know as good as many improvements as you guys made throughout the offseason, you still have just not done enough to compete with some of the teams that you're facing on your schedule. You're in a very tough division in the NFC North. Um, I mean, let, let's walk through the schedule. I, I got it right here in front of me. First game, you got Chicago. Second game, you got Green Bay. Third game, you got Arizona. Fourth game, you got New Orleans. Fifth week, you have a bye. Jack, you just walked into your bye week 0-4. Because I'll just be upfront with you, Chicago. Assuming Chicago does the right thing and starts Nick Foles over Mitchell Trubisky from week one. Right, Nick Foles is a guy that, you know, he's familiar with Matt Nagy's system more so than Mitchell Trubisky because he played under Matt Nagy while Matt Nagy was offensive coordinator for Kansas City under Andy Reid. So, and he went when Nick Foles went and excelled in Philly. Doug Peterson is a former offensive coordinator of Andy Reid. Matt Nagy's a former offensive coordinator of Andy Reid. Very similar traits. They do very similar things. Nick Foles, he's he's been there and done that with this offensive system that Nagy likes to run. If they go ahead and send it with Nick Foles, a dude's going to excel with the weapons that he has around him. You got Anthony Miller. You got Allen Robinson. You got Tariq Cohen in the backfield. You got David Montgomery. These dudes are talented players. They just need a quarterback that can right the ship. I think Nick Foles can be that guy for Chicago. Um, Green Bay, playoff team last year. One of the best teams in the regular season. Granted, they didn't do a whole lot to help their starting quarterback in the offseason, but you still got to, to defend Devontae Adams. And as good as the corners you guys have are, I think Okuda has very high potential. I think Desmond Trufant at times can be very good. Neither one one of them can hold Devontae Adams. Uh, Green Bay is just clearly far and away a superior team, especially I didn't even bring up the defense that they had last year. Uh, th- those two, the Smith brothers uh, rushing on the edges, they were dominant last year. Absolutely dominant. And your offensive line still isn't exactly where it needs to be. You guys are going to struggle against Green Bay. I think you probably lose two games in the division to Green Bay. Um, Arizona, that's going to be another team that's much improved. You got DeAndre Hopkins that instantly upgrades your offense. Kyler Murray's going to take the next step in his sophomore year. It's a natural progression for guys like that to become back even better. Kyler Murray, we saw, we saw flashes of what he could do at the end of last season. He's going to carry that momentum into next season. Now he has a number one, uh, he has a number one wide receiver. They drafted, you know, my favorite dude in the entire draft, Isaiah Simmons. This Arizona team is going to look pretty freaking good next year. There's no way that Detroit can hang with them. Then New Orleans, I don't even need to explain anything. That's New Orleans. They're one of the best teams year in and year out in the NFL. You just walked into your bye week 0-4. Now you come out and you face Jacksonville. That's a winnable game. Jacksonville is a winnable game. That the, the, I, I might chalk that one up to y'all. Uh, Jacksonville, I might give you guys your first one of the season. Atlanta is a winnable game because Atlanta's just as, as talented as that team is, as particularly on the offensive side of the ball, they just never seem to be able to put it together for whatever reason. It's still so far beyond me why Atlanta's year in and year out not one of the better teams in the NFC, but clearly they don't. They, there's something awry there. Um, they can't put it together. So I, I think Atlanta could be a winnable game for you guys. Indianapolis is a winnable game. But then after those three games, after your bye week, it gets ugly again. You got Minnesota. Your team can't compete with Minnesota. I'm, I'll be straightforward and honest with you. That's what that I bring the honesty. I bring the truth to this podcast. Detroit cannot compete with Minnesota. Washington's a winnable game. Sure. Carolina, not so much. 
Christian McCaffrey. Now that you, you're not dealing with uh, Kyle Allen as a quarterback, you're, th- you're dealing with somebody who's actually been there and done that in Teddy Bridgewater. DJ Moore is ready to take the next step for that offense, and that defense is always formidable. Um, I think Matt Rule is going to be the guy to really motivate that team. I think Carolina is going to be, you know, primed to be one of the more improved teams next season. Then you got Houston, Deshaun Watson. <laughs> that's enough said, man. That's enough said. Then you got Chicago again. Like I said before, Nick Foles, if he's the starter, Chicago is far and away a better team than Detroit. Green Bay again. I don't need to explain anything there. Green Bay is just a better team. Tennessee got to the AFC Championship. Derrick Henry, and mind you, this is a Tennessee at the end of the season, so this is right when Derrick Henry's really starting to heat up. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Derrick Henry rushed for over 200 yards on Detroit just because this is this is right when Derrick Henry thrives. At the very end of the season, trust me, is why I draft him to my fantasy football team every year because I know when I need him the most – at the end of the season, when the playoffs are coming, that's when Derrick Henry thrives. That's a little fantasy tip for y'all out there. Get Derrick Henry because you know at the end of the season, that's when he starts. Everyone's old, broken down, you know, throughout the, the, the trauma of the entire season. Derrick Henry's still 6'3", 240 pounds and ready to go. The dude's fresh. The dude's fresh. and he, He's on a completely different level athletically than everyone else at that point in the season. That's when he thrives. You got Tennessee right when Derrick Henry gets good. Then you got Tampa Bay, Brady, Godwin, Evans, Gronkowski. Enough said. You guys can't compete with that team. Then you got Minnesota again. Like I said before, Minnesota's just a better team. So best case scenario, man, five games. And I'm being generous with that. Best case scenario, Detroit wins five games. Like I said, I don't mean any disrespect to Detroit, but they're just not a very good constructed team right now. But, Jack, I encourage you to take that with a grain of salt because next year probably in all likelihood would not be that fun to watch as a fan. But Detroit is in a retooling phase right now. They're, they're trying to reconfigure their roster to a point where they can get back to competing. Um, so there's going to be some growing pains there. There's going to be some moments throughout this year where it's like, ah, I really hate watching this team. But that's what comes with the territory of rebuilding your roster. Um couple years down the line, who knows? Detroit could be a, a team that has a little bit of potential um, to, to resurge into the playoff picture. Um, the moment's just not right now for them. Uh, next question comes from another ex-high school classmate of mine, William Pattison. Now, y'all keep an eye out for this dude right here. Side note, William Pattison is one of the hottest next up-and-coming sports journalists coming out of high school, man, that I'm familiar with. That dude's doing some really, really big things. He's not even in his senior year yet. Do suing some really huge things, really impressive things, honestly, um, with, with sports media already in high school. Watch out for this dude for sure. He's asking me thoughts on the report of Josh McDaniels deteriorating relationship with Tom Brady being the reason why he left the Patriots. So essentially, he's asking me, uh, the, there's a rumor this week that Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady, their relationship was uh, not in a good place. And that's part of why Tom Brady wanted to leave the Patriots. He's asking me how much am I buying into this? I wouldn't discount it as a contributing factor. Um, I mean, no decisions ever that black and white where there's only one thing that really pushed you over the edge. I'm sure it had something to do with it. I mean, we know how hard headed Tom Brady can be. He's the type of dude to yell and scream on the on the on the on the sidelines should things not be going his way on the field. And Josh McDaniels, we know, can be a difficult dude. I still haven't forgiven him for you know backing out on Indianapolis at the last minute, so they, they ended up taking the Eagles' offensive coordinator from the Super Bowl year. 
Um, so that relationship, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was a little bit of friction there. However, you'd be hard pressed. I'm going to put this in real world terms because at the end of the day, we're talking about a workplace. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who leaves their job solely because they don't get along with one of their coworkers. That's like standard operation of a business. Coworkers sometimes just don't get along. And I, I some people might say, well, McDonald's wasn't a coworker. He's kind of his boss because he's the offense coordinator. Be real. Tom Brady had every bit the amount of power, if not more, within that Patriots organization than Josh McDaniels. Let's be realistic about that. So in my mind, they're more co-workers than they are, you know, uh, subordinate and boss. So if you don't get along with one of your co-workers, that's, that's unfortunate, but it's not a reason to quit your job and go find work somewhere else. There's only three reasons why you leave your job. And it's because you think you have a better opportunity somewhere else. You're ready for a change of scenery or you don't get along with your boss, not a co-worker. You don't get along with your boss, the dude who's ultimately making the biggest decisions. And in Brady's case, I think it's all three of those things. I'd venture to say it was all three of those things that contributed to why Tom Brady wanted to leave the New England Patriots. They're clearly on the back end of this dynasty. The Buccaneers have this loaded offense ready to go. There's your uh, there's your better opportunity elsewhere. Brady has been playing for the Patriots for all 20 years of his NFL career. There's your need for a change of scenery. And finally, we know that there was a rift between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That's been well documented ever since Jimmy G. You know, Brady or uh, Belichick wanted to go in that direction, wanted to move away from Brady. Brady and Kraft disagreed. So uh, Belichick went and went petty mode and just shipped Jimmy G off for just about nothing. That's been well documented, and I'll always and forever point to that as the beginning of the end of a relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, the fact that Bill, you know, his his whole thing is do your job. Players are expensable. We, you know, we want to do things in in a forward thinking light. And Tom Brady probably felt like he could be exempt from all of that, given everything that he's done for the New England Patriots. But it turned out it wasn't. That stung a little. That hurt his pride a little bit. If you're Tom Brady, that hurt his pride. So I think those are the three reasons why Tom Brady's really leaving. Again, I, I, I'm i sure the, the relationship between him and McDaniels could have been a contributing factor, but that's not ultimately going to push him over the edge. If push really came to shove and Tom Brady went to Robert Kraft and said, hey, man, I'm not vibing with, uh, I'm not vibing with Josh McDaniels anymore. Get him out of there. And you, he forced Robert Kraft to make a decision between Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels? Take a wild guess. Take a wild guess on which direction they're going to go, because Tom Brady was ultimately more meaningful to the franchise than Josh McDaniel was. So it wasn't Josh McDaniel's relationship with Tom Brady that pushed Brady over the edge. It was a combination of a need for a change of scenery, a better opportunity elsewhere and a rift with his boss, not his co-worker, but his boss. Let's keep it pushing. I don't Next question comes from Jared Weinstein. He asked me, what do I expect some of the biggest and where do I expect some of the biggest NFL free agents to sign? Well, that's it's hard at this age or at this stage in the game to predict where guys are going to sign. But I'll, I'll take my best shot at it. Um, So I'll give you the top five guys, uh, the top five free agents in my mind. First up, you got Larry Wofford, former Pro Bowler. Saints just cut him. They weren't able to get a trade for him. Shockingly, I'm surprised no one wanted to trade for him. The Saints ended up cutting him. I think it's uh, 
it's very feasible that Larry Wofford ends up a Miami Dolphin. And I, I think that because Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell was Larry Wofford's coach while uh, they were both in Detroit. Jim Cal- or Jim Caldwell has since then, uh, he, he left Detroit. He was a consultant for Miami under Bl- Brian Flores. Um, he since left that role and he, he had some health issues, but that connection is own. Mind you, business is all about connections. And that's what the NFL is. It's a business when you boil down to it. The fact that Jim Caldwell has that connection to Brian Flores and that the Miami Dolphins need a better offensive line to protect to a tag of Iloa. Obviously, they're going to prioritize doing that. They're going to do their due diligence on Larry Wofford. And since they have that connection with Caldwell, they're going to ask him, hey, man, what about this Wofford kid? And Caldwell's not going to have anything but positive things to say about him because he was a pro bowler. Um, so I think it's a realistic possibility that we see Warford go to the Miami Dolphins, just given the help that they need and the connections that they have. Next up is another office lineman. You got Jason Peters. He's going to stay an eagle. He's going to be an Eagle. He's been an Eagle his entire career. He does not intend on going anywhere. He wants to be back in Philly. Word on the street is he's received other more lucrative offers from other teams that need tackles, but he's willing to accept less money to stay in Philly. The dude wants to retire a Philadelphia Eagle. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Now, I'm not sure he starts next year because this is the beginning of the transition into the Andre Dillard era, right? They, they spent a first-round pick on Andre Dillard. They want to eventually give this dude a chance to prove himself. They don't want to sit him behind a 39-year-old uh, Andre or uh, Jason Peters. So I think there's a decent chance that they use Jason Peters as more of a mentor to Dillard than an actual you know, piece on the chessboard. Um, but I, I do think he's a valuable guy to have just from a locker room standpoint, a veteran standpoint, um, from a teaching standpoint. He's going to be great for Dillard. Um, the dude's one of the best to ever do it at that position. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that connection uh, stays where it's at and Jason Peters comes back to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles, they've been in the running for Jadavion Clowney, apparently. I don't want him. I do not want Jadavion Clowney. I saw with my own eyes, Davion Clowney cheap shot my quarterback. Cheap shot at Carson Wentz after Carson did everything in his power. Throwing to guys like Greg Ward, Boston Scott, dudes that hadn't even, you know, <clears throat> they were just lucky to be on an NFL field. And Carson Wentz willed these guys to a playoff berth. Against all odds, against all odds, he wills this group of ragtag offensive players to a playoff berth. And Jadavion Clowney strips it away from him. Cheap shot. Concussed him. Put him out the game. I don't want Jadavion Clowney in the Eagles uniform. He doesn't represent what an Eagles player should be. That's a shame. I, I don't want that dude anywhere near my quarterback ever. I don't want Jadavion Clowney. I think Jadavion Clowney, he's more likely to go to the Tennessee Titans. Um, it, it seemed like in the past uh, that, that he was primed to go back to Seattle because it, it's taking his free agency a lot longer than a lot of people anticipated that it would because he's not willing to budge on his price range of 17 to $18 million a year. Um, but, but it seems like Seattle's kind of falling out of the running a little bit. So it has to be a team that has the salary cap to meet his price demand. And it has to be a team that needs uh, an edge rusher. And it also has to be a team that's competitive, right? Because he wants a shorter term deal so we can 
earn more value and hit the free agency market again and get more money. And that's Tennessee to me. Tennessee is a team that, you know, they they were in the AFC Championship last season. You give them a couple more pieces. I don't think that they're going to be back this season, but who's to say? Because I didn't think that they would be there last season. Um, So if you get a guy like Jadavion Clowney, nine times out of ten, he could be the thing that makes a couple plays to push you over the edge. That's a realistic possibility. Um, And a lot of times when we have these discussions about where Jadavion Clowney ends up, Tennessee is frequently, you know, entering that conversation. So I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility at all. I think it's likely that Jadavion Clowney ends up a Tennessee Titans. Um, Everson Griffin, that's the fourth dude. So you, you, you have Jadavion Clowney out of Seattle. Seattle now needs an edge rusher. Here's another dude on the market that can fulfill that need, Everson Griffin. Um, So it it just makes sense. His production has dipped a little bit in recent years, but Seattle's a team that's proven that they are willing to take uh, flyers. They're willing to kick the tires on, um, ooh, rhyming accidentally. Uh, they're willing to kick the tires on older dudes to see if they have any juice left in the tank. I think they do that with Everson Griffin. It's very likely. um, Last dude. Cam Newton. And I went on an entire rant about Cam Newton that lasted about 30 minutes last week. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. Uh, I had a lot of important things to say about the dynamics of not just Cam Newton as a quarterback, but Cam Newton as a black man, how that's affecting his free agency and how that's affected the perception of Cam Newton in the past. So definitely go check that out. So I'll keep it brief here. I gave you predictions on teams before with the other four free agents with Cam Newton. I don't think it's a team prediction. It's more of a scenario prediction. And it's going to be he does. He clearly doesn't want to go anywhere where he's going to be a backup. And he's earned the right not to go anywhere where he's going to be a backup. But most of the teams in the NFL right now seem to be pretty comfortable with their current quarterback, uh, their quarterback situation for whatever reason, at least not uncomfortable enough to, to go seek a guy like Cam Newton. So what's going to have to happen is, and this happens every year, um, is going to have to be a team that, that's primed to make a playoff push, but then their quarterback goes down. And now now the backup dude, he's nowhere near the caliber of player that you need to, to put your team in the playoffs. So they're desperate to find a quarterback that can do that. That's going to be Cam Newton. So I, my, my prediction for Cam Newton's free agency is that he does not get signed until the NFL season starts. And a quarterback gets injured. That's when we're going to see Cam Newton enter back into the fold. And, you know, to throw a slide, a little prediction in there, he's going to kill it because that dude has an edge right now. Like you wouldn't believe like you wouldn't believe. Final question, man, coming up on 50 minutes of answering y'all's questions. You see what I do for y'all? You see what I put myself through for y'all, man? Fifty minutes of answering questions. Oh my god! I sometimes need a hug or something. You know what I'm saying? I'm parched. Producer, producer, I need water. Producer. Last question comes from Kirkland Perkins. I was surprised, Kirkland. Kirkland's my best friend, by the way. I was surprised, Kirkland. Um, put a question up because he's not the biggest sports dude, but that's kind of where the question um, is aligned. So Kirkland asks. How can someone that is currently not knowledgeable in sports become knowledgeable in them? What are some ways that aren't too too serious, but rather fun and simple? So first of all, I can't imagine that there's too many people listening to this podcast that aren't big sports fans, um, because this is you know somewhat of a sports sports adjacent podcast. You know what I mean? Um, so you, you, most of the time, people listening to this are going to be sports fans. So this might fall into deaf ears. But for you, Kirkland, I will answer your question because you're basically kind of like my chauffeur sometimes. <laughs> so I will answer this question for you, of course. Um, 
So there's a lot of ways that you can get into the, kind of the same point here. Uh, you can commit to watching more games of whatever sport you're trying to get interested in. Uh, you can listen to podcasts like this one that'll that'll talk about some of the relevant things that are going on within the sport. You can listen to sports talk shows like, you know, First Take and Colin Cowherd, um, First Things First, uh, Skip and Shannon. Those things will kind of give you a very surface level view of what's going on, but you'll at least have an idea of what's going on. And those things are pretty fun to consume. Um, but the simplest thing and arguably the most fun out of all of those things, the way the mo- the way I think is productive for people to get into a particular sport fantasy, man, fantasy sports are so much fun. They're easy to do. They're not easy to su- succeed at, but they're easy to be a part of. And it's a very simple way, fun way, competitive way to get into a sport. Say you don't know a whole lot about football. You don't really know who's who with the players. You don't know who's good and who's not. Fantasy football is a very easy way to get into that because then you figure out, holy crap, this Christian McCaffrey guy gets a lot of points. Holy crap, uh, this, this Derek Carr guy can't be really that good. He doesn't get a whole lot of points. You get to figure out, A, what stats are important. Right. How the things are calculated in terms of passing yards, uh, rushing yards, things, touchdowns, all of that. And then you get to figure out who's good and who's not. Now, if you uh, combine that with watching some of the games on Sundays, now you'll know which teams are good as well. At that point, you'll have a pretty blanket surface level understanding of what's going on with the sport. Um, that's the easiest way that I can think of. Fantasy sports will get you into a sport, especially if you have money on the line. That's a very quick way, easy way to get into a sport. But I will say very, very cautious of who you do the fantasy sport with, because if you do a fantasy sport with a bunch of people that are on your level or below your level of intellect regarding the sport, you're not going to learn a whole lot because no one knows what the hell they're doing. If you do it with a bunch of people like me, right, you're probably going to take an L. You might lose some money, but you're going to learn a lot because, you know, I'm going to take advantage of you in some trades. I'm going to sign the good free agents and you'll be able to pick up on what I'm doing and from there be able to adjust and learn some certain things. So I would definitely say the best way to learn about a sport in one statement is to play the fantasy version of that sport with people who have experience playing that fantasy. That's the best way you can do it. That's the most fun and simple way you can do it. Um, but with that said, man, woo, woo, that was nine questions. I'm coming up on 53 minutes, y'all. We had an interruption from an electrician. We had dehydration, but we have made it through. We have persevered. Thank you guys so 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 much because like i said as as much as i'm joking around complaining about these questions but the reality is i did not have can i let y'all in on a secret i'm gonna let y'all in on a secret i did not have anything to talk about this week like nothing bro i had nothing to talk about because sports are gone and there was really nothing super relevant that happened like maybe the ufc thing but i don't know anything about ufc i was struggling thinking of things to talk about but y'all came with so many questions i was like screw it i'm gonna make a q a episode I'm going to answer everyone's questions. I thank you guys so, 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 so much for this. You know, you made this a lot easier, um, especially with finals and things going on. 
you guys really came through for me this week. Much appreciated. I hope I gave all of you uh, questions that you or answers that you enjoyed. Man, I, I'm I'm running on E right now, y'all. Uh, I hope you got. I hope I gave you guys some answers that you can take away from and learn from. Um, but with that said, that'll end it for this episode of the RG2 Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep coming with these questions. Once I have topics to cover, if you guys keep coming with all of these questions, I might have to split them up by episode. I know I said I want to answer every single question, and I intend on answering every single question. Um, but you know, once I have things to actually talk about, I won't be able to answer nine questions in a single episode. So I might have to answer four one week and five the next week, things of that nature. But I will get to all of your questions. I'm going to stick to that commitment until I have too many questions to handle. I'm going to stick to that commitment. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys so, so much for, for all the support that you're giving me. It means the world to me that people are going to listen to me talk about sports for 55 minutes. But um, like I said, thank you guys for tuning in. I must have said thank you guys for tuning in about seven times by now. Uh, I'm kind of rambling. I think I might be going delusional. But thank you for tuning in. I'll see you next week.